0: Good to see you. We're going to be in Matthew 20 today. If you got your Bible, if you want to turn there or on your phone, that would be great. We're looking at these uh, parables. <laughs> I'm, I'm such a man. I can't talk and do. I can't co- talk and put in my passcode at the same time. <sighs> oh, okay, done. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, that I can at least do one thing at a time. Um, and and we're looking at parables. Uh, one of the things that you got to realize about parables and about us in general is that we all live by a story. We already have a story, things that we believe that are true about the world. And, and parables sometimes serve as like a mental time bomb. They kind of come in and they blow apart the story that we have and, and kind of rip it apart uh, on, on your outline, I put parables or stories that undermine our hidden assumptions about the way we think the world is or at least should be. And and when Jesus tells these stories, it really dismantles some of the things that we think should be normal. And this is one of the stories that does that. You see, the, the, the way thinking happens in the kingdom of God, the, 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 the basic fundamental values and the way it operates is very, very different than the world. Uh, you know, our world... Uh, It's structured around control, protection, taking care of ourselves. We want to be safe. We want to have what we need. And the reality of the kingdom is about vulnerability. It's about sacrifice. It's about love and forgiveness. And so Jesus tells these stories that slowly begin to undermine the way we think the world is. And he creates this new world. Now, that's happening a little bit in our campfire story with, with Zeno, the centurion, right? He's, had, he's got this picture of how the world should be, and Jesus comes and kind of dismantles that, and he doesn't know what to do. Lots of times when we feel our world falling apart like that, we think we're walking away from God or God's leaving us behind, but sometimes he's just shaking us enough to rip apart what we think is true and challenge it and give us something deeper that is more profound. It happened for me. This is not necessarily a spiritual story. But years ago, our church started partnering with Guatemala, which I mentioned yesterday. And uh, one of the things you'll know about Guatemala is sometimes they're not very favorable toward Americans. You see, this is a, a mural on the wall there. And on the right side, you can see a bit of the American flag. But it doesn't have stars on it. It has a skull and crossbones. And, and um, I grew up in the States, and I, I love the United States. There's so many good things about it. I'm also happy to be Canadian. Uh, some people call that my second conversion—that I moved to Canada and became a Canadian. Um, but one of the things yeah. when you grow up in the states is you really—and I—you I, really don't sometimes get both sides of the story. So my understanding from growing up in the states was that we were we were the best country in the world, and we just helped people all around the world. I went to Guatemala with our team, and we're walking through the the National Palace on the first day and the guy who heads the mission is a teacher. He tells stories and he's telling the story of the Guatemalan Civil War. And he makes this comment that I just didn't believe. And he said, he said yeah, Guatemala had this uh, elected president and because he was tending toward the interests of the poor in what was seen from the, the, from, from the United States uh, perspective as more of a socialistic, communistic type of thing, there was a CIA plot to overthrow The president and he was assassinated. Now, as an American, I said that's the most foolish, idiotic thing I've ever heard. But when I came home, I started reading about it and and I started looking at information that's available and it's true. You you can trace the record, and all of a sudden, my world started getting ripped apart a bit. These things that I had believed and that I'd held to were challenged, and I started reading about. Uh, there's a guy in, El, in, in uh, El Salvador, Oscar Romero, who was a Catholic priest, doing the same kind of stuff, serving, working with the poor, trying to be the, the, the hands and feet of Christ. And, and the things that are happening from the American standpoint in, in El Salvador at that time were horrible. And all of a sudden, I felt my, my little world that I, my story that I had grown up with crumple. Now, I, I haven't, you know, the Antichrist is not the United States. I'm not saying that either. I'm just saying we all have those stories that we live by. We all have these assumptions, and they have to be challenged and deconstructed sometimes. And that's a painful process. Well, our story today, The Great Reversal, is a story that I think the church needs to hear very loudly because it rips apart so much of how we tend to operate. So I'll just read Matthew 20, 1 to 16, and then we'll kind of work through it. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and he sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, which would be nine o'clock in the morning, he went out and he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, You also go and work in my vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. And so they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and about the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and he found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one's hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go work in my vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers "...pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. And the workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day." But he answered one of them, Friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Now, I, I want to start again by looking at the, at the parable itself. He starts, the kingdom of heaven is like, like for us, we start stories by saying once upon a time, right? And the disciples by now were beginning to realize when Jesus starts with that phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of God is like this, he's, he's going to tell us something. He has this, it's a verbal cue that he's starting to teach about something. And like always, his stories connect with real life. This is, this is a very... Um, Clear situation, something that everybody can understand. In his culture, not so much in, in in North America. We have, you know, you get a job and you get up and you go. But in other countries, third world countries, very often, if there's no work, men would get up in the morning, they would go to the central square and they would wait for the landowners to come and hire them for the day. And so uh, the owner of the vineyard would would need he would have permanent servants to work in the vineyard. But but the way I don't know how many of you've ever grown grapes. Me neither. But I'm going to sound like an expert. They tell me. Google, Dr. Google tells me that there is a small window when the sugar content in the grape is just right and you want to harvest it at that window. So when that day or two or three days came, the owner of the vineyard would go down to the center of the village and he would hire a bunch of extra workers and bring them out because they wanted to get the harvest done that day. And if halfway through the day it looked like they couldn't finish, he'd go get some more. And that's exactly everybody that, that's hearing this story realizes this is this is what happens. And he goes early in the morning, and, and he, he, he says, I'll give you a denarius if you work all day. That's a typical day's wages. It was a normal thing. Everything about this was normal. I'll pay you a denarius. And then he goes at, he, that's at 6 in the morning. He goes at 9, he goes at 12, he goes at 3, he goes at 5 in the afternoon. And with all of them, he says, well, with the 9, 12, and 3, he says, I'll pay you whatever's right, what's fair. Okay, sounds good. And with the 5 o'clock people, he just says, just go work. He doesn't even mention he's going to pay them. They assume they're going to get something, but it wouldn't be much, right? Now, what, what you've got to realize about the story, though, <laughs> is it also shows an owner with an agenda. As he returns to the area, things change. He, he says, I'm going to give you denarius. And then he says, each time throughout the day, I'm going to give you what's right or fair. But where you see that he's really got an agenda happens in verse 8. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. Now, how many of you have that person at your job or in your family or at the family reunion that can never leave well enough alone? they know there's a topic that's going to upset everybody in the room and they just have to bring it up you guys know those kind of people they are the instigators they're the ones when they show up at thanksgiving at the family everybody's like oh no it's going, something's going to happen right this is the owner Do you realize he could have said to his servants call all these people that have worked for me all day call the guys who showed up first let them get their denarius and go home and then the guys that showed up later will get their denarius and go home and nobody will be the wiser. He could have gotten exactly what he wanted, which was to pay every single person a denarius. And there not been any conflict at all. But that's not what he did. He brings the last first. The people that only worked for an hour. And he gives them a full day's wage. And so, as the text says, the people who started were like, "Woohoo! We worked 10 times more than those guys. And, and we're going to get 10 denarii, which is an awesome day's wage. But well, when they get there, they only get it... He's stirring the pot. He's, he's, he's upsetting them because there's a point. Now, if you look at the text, the last verse of chapter 19 says, Many who are the first will be last, and many who are the last will be first. And then halfway through the story, Jesus says, Call the last workers first, and the first workers will be last. And then at the end of the story, Jesus says, So the last will be first, and the f- there's a, there's a theme. Anybody pick up on that theme in those three verses? He's doing this on purpose. Everybody's upset. Now, Now it brings up, and this is the whole point of the story, I think, it brings up the issue of fair. Now, if, just to play the story out in today's society, imagine you need a roof on your house because a hurricane is coming the next day. And let's say you went to the place where all the roofers just tended to gather down at the coffee shop, and you went and you got them. And you said to the guy in the morning, I'm going to pay you 250 bucks if you'll come and roof for the day. I'll, I'll give, For 10 hours work, I'll give you 25 bucks an hour. And the guy says, sold. So he goes. And then you realize he's never going to finish. So you go all day long, same kind of thing. And then at, you know, at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, you realize there's still just a bit more. You grab a few more guys. You throw them on the roof. And then at the end, you pay the last guy 250 bucks and work all the way up. Do you see the dynamics there? The first guy is going to say, that's not fair. That's the issue. We and, and and I think too, even when I read the story, I feel a little uncomfortable with it. Right? Because I I mean I know me well enough to you know I I would I would be i I'm an early riser and I'm I'm a keener. I want people to like me, so I would have gone first, and then when the last guy showed up, I would have thought, I'm gonna get lots more. I would have been miffed in this story. The issue of fair would have really bothered me. And it's really it is legal. He's he's not doing anything, it's his land, he's made the agreement with the people, but there's just something that unsettles us about it. And I think in this story we can begin to see some things, we can begin to see what the story says first of all about God. We'll get back to the idea of fair at the end, but first of all, what, what does this text teach us about God? And the story reminds us of what I'll call the rights of the owner, now that. It, it's a bit uncomfortable sometimes for us, but one of the key issues the landowner uses to justify his actions is in the first part of verse 15. He says, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? I'm the owner. I have the right to do this. And, and in many of the stories that Jesus told the owner, the one who has represents God. We see that God like Israel would totally understand this because all throughout the Old Testament, they're, they're called God's vineyard. And so as the disciples are hearing this, as the people are hearing this, they're thinking about the landowner as God and the vineyard as their context that they live in. And one of the key points that, is, that we have here is in order to wrestle with where we fit into all this, we have to start first with where does God fit into all this. And the point of our struggle with fair comes back to the point that God is the owner of the field, just like we said yesterday. He says, didn't I give you what I promised? Can I do what I want to do with what's mine. You know, we said yesterday, the earth is the Lord's. It's, it's all through the Psalms. And, and my dad used to say there's two basic rules in life. You need to remember that there is a God and that you are not him. Mm-hmm. And they said that, that's, that's really kind of the, the basic simple things that you need to know. And that's one of the things this story reminds us. And one of the key turning points in our lives is when we begin to see that and to humble ourselves, to become teachable, to realize that we are not the ones in control here and to make our peace with that. D.L. Moody, one of my favorite quotes, he said, God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. And the, the first part of our journey has to realize that God, it is God's field and it, because it's his, he has the rights of an owner. It's, it's a hard lesson to learn. And, and one of the ways he teaches it in this is God uses stress or difficulty to teach. Now, I don't, I don't really like this about God. I would not pick this, but I'm, he's the owner and I'm not, but this is what I've seen over and over in my own life. I see it in other people's lives. We learn when things don't go as we planned. We let go of the story we're holding on to when it doesn't work anymore. And when it doesn't work anymore, we feel that stress. We have to figure out what we actually believe. I'm going to show you a very spiritual slide. You ready for one very, this is, this slide is incredible spiritual meaning for me. You ready? I love a Snickers bar. (laughs) Packed with peanut Snickers really satisfies, right? Um, When I was in college, I went on an 18-day backpacking trip with a group of 10 10 other people, and it was called the Discovery Wilderness Program, and they put us into the woods, and we backpacked, and we read maps and compasses, and we did rock climbing and and, uh, canoeing, and and, um, the whole point was, it's kind of like an outward bound trip. It was kind of like a come face to face with who you are there was a spiritual component to it the university i went to had this uh as as part of it but you got two food rations one on the first day and you split it between the 10 of you and and halfway through you get another food ration for the last nine days well in the first one there were 10 of us and one in our food rations was 10 snicker bars so one of our days we all sat down we had it was awesome so the next ration, we, we saw the bag of Snickers bars. Somebody threw it in their backpack, and we looked forward to it. We had a really hard day, and we finally said, you know what? We've had the hardest day ever. Let's have the Snickers tonight. And we got there, and guess what? There were nine Snickers bars, and there were ten of us. And, of course, what do you think the first assumption on most people's but Who ate the Snickers? You know, who, who's, who was carrying these? Somebody had these in their pack, and they snagged one of them. What I didn't know then was that was part of the program. What they wanted to do was inject a little stress into the group and see how you would resolve it. Now, I think it was manipulative and cruel, and <laughs> I mean, it's a lot easier to pack the bag and send it with somebody else than to open your bag and see only nine. But the thing that was hilarious was, we, I, I'll never forget the night. We finally said, "Well, we, we had to kind of go through that process as a group. Did you eat it? I didn't eat it. I really Are you lying? You know? And finally, we said, okay, the only fair thing is everybody cuts a little chunk off their Snickers and gives it to the 10th to the person. The funny thing was the 10th person got like a Snickers and a half. <laughs> and you all wish. You, you learn a lot through those things. But I, I tell you that because the stress is when you learn. And sometimes God allows stress and difficulty. Sometimes he calls the last workers first and gives them the full day's wage to inject stress into a situation to unsettle us. He creates attention. And, I mean, all the best teachers do that, right? The best teachers create something in us. They challenge the way we think. They make us uncomfortable a little bit. They engage us emotionally. They do these things that create these, these emotional waves and this stress in us to help us learn and think differently. That's why pain and difficulty are often periods of growth in our life. So God is the owner. God uses stress to teach, but he also is incredibly generous. One of the key lines of the story at the end, and it's a great song to end with. Come to the altar. Are you envious because I'm generous? Are you mad at me? I did exactly what I said I was going to do for you. I was completely fair. There was no surprises. But are you mad at me because I'm generous? He has the right to do. You know, the landowner tells us some things about himself in the story. He has a right to do what he wants to with his own stuff. He's going to be just and fair. He tells all the people except the last group that I'll pay you what's fair. And he's generous. The the kingdom of God works totally differently. And and the point is very often when we get upset about God not being fair, he looks at us and he says, are you you envious because I'm generous? See, that's... (laughs) The picture of Jesus that we need to hold on to is generosity to a fault. He's the guy nailed on the cross that says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Who does that? Nobody does that. How many times has somebody hurt your feelings? And your first response, not because it was the right thing to do, but just because it's who you are, is like, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, right? Hurting our feelings. And we're like, I'm going to get you, you know, whatever. Whatever. And Jesus is dying on a cross, and his response is this incredible generosity. And God is so generous, sometimes it makes us angry. And that's where we move to what the story says about us. It, 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 I really think as you read the Bible, you first say, what does this say about God? And second, what does it say about me? And so the second thing we see about us, or the first thing we see about us on the second angle, is we have this skewed sense of value. Look at verse 10 in the text. So when those who came who were those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received it in They expected more because they had done more. And there's this sense embedded in the way we think that the more we do, the more we are valuable to God. It's, It's something that's that's a part of us. We value performance over the person. And that, that's just not true in the kingdom of God. That's why that's, that's very different from our story. One of the things I hear all the time, I'm, I'm ragging on Americans today. I'm sorry if you have ties there. One of the things I hear all the time in the United States is when we're talking about medical care, because Canada has the worst system, according to them. But my family will say, and my family, they love God, but they'll say sometimes, sometimes things like, doesn't it bother you that the drug addict gets the same medical treatment that you do? And I say, actually, that's kind of a kingdom of God thing that people aren't valued because of what they contribute. They're valued because we'll talk about this tomorrow, because they're created in the image of God. And and Jesus is saying here, you're not valued based on how long you've worked. You are valued because you are a worker, because you're here, because you're a person. We have this skewed sense of value. I think I did this a year or two ago. I didn't bring a real hundred dollar bill because it's just been a lean year. But if I had a $100 bill up here and I said, who wants this, how many of you would raise your hand and say, I want a $100 bill? How many of you would say that, right? What if I took that $100 bill and I went out and I found the goose poop on the beach and I wiped the $100 bill in the goose poop? How many of you would say, I would still like that $100? you would be ashamed to say it, but you would still want, that. how many? Of you? Okay. Some of you would say, yeah, Carter Wood, yeah? How many of you, if, if that $100 bill got dropped out of my pocket when I was water skiing and it and it floated through and was all wrinkly and and in the mud and you found it on the beach how many of you be excited to find that hundred dollar bill we all would and the reason we would is because there's a thing on that hundred dollar bill that says the value is determined by something outside of it it's not the condition of the hundred dollar bill that gives it its value it's the fact that the government says this is worth 100 canadian dollars or 36 american dollars whichever you want it to be right (laughs) there's a little plug for america right um but we have to realize that God values people not based on how they look or how they serve or what they have to offer, but on the fact that they're created in His image. In, in his image. Now, the second thing it shows about us is we have a tendency towards self-centeredness. Notice what is first in their thoughts when they realize that they got the same as the people that only worked an hour. They said, you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the, wor- the heat of the and the, the burden of the work and the heat of the day. They, the minute they think it's unfair, their attention is totally focused on us and them. You've made them equal to us. How dare you? We worked harder. You know, <laughs> we, we make every story about us. That's one of the things about our stories. It's always about us. And Jesus says it's not about you or them. It's about me. Don't I have the right to do what I want to do with what I've got? But we have this unspoken pecking order. One of the, one of the words that shows, the, 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 for the, it says equal here. We, we think, they say, you know, you've made them equal. We've got this schedule where they're down here and we're up here because we've worked more. And what you've done is actually brought them up the pecking order and we don't like that. How dare God make them equal with us? Whenever we start talking about them And they and those people, we've got to realize there's something going wrong. We're not thinking kingdomly then because all of a sudden we're valuing us over someone else. We're we're creating these differentials. And Jesus says to them, friend, he's not angry even when they say that. He, He starts, friend, I've not been unfair to you. Are you envious because I'm generous? And the answer is Yes, Like if you look at the context of this passage, we, we talked about that. In, in, in chapter 19, he talks about bring the little children. And the disciples are like, get away. You guys are bugging him. You see that? They're not valuable enough for your time, Jesus. We need, we're the important ones. And Jesus says, bring the little children to me. And then the rich young ruler comes and he says, what must I do to have eternal life? And, and Jesus says, sell everything you have. And they're like, what? And he, he goes away because he's sad, because he's got great wealth. And Jesus says, then, it's it's very hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then they say, who can be saved? You see the pecking order they've got in their heads here? These rich people, man, they're blessed by God. They've done it all. And Jesus says, they can't make it? Then who's going to be making it? But see, the point is not what they've done. The point is the generosity of God and the fact that he loves people because they're created In his image. What what really it's that I see about us, how many of you know what this, what, what FOMO is? You know what FOMO is? F-O-M-O, fear of missing out. We feel like, we kind of feel like grace is this big pie that Jesus has made for us. We have a pie of grace, and if we give too much pie away, we don't might not have enough pie for ourselves. We feel if if God is generous to the people who barely do anything for him then are are we going to miss out? Are we going to lose something? We we think the benefits that other people will get will take away from us. In in chapter 19, Peter says, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Same thing, right? Jesus said the rich, it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And Peter says, but we've left, we've done everything for you. What are we going to get? There's that fear of losing something. And then Jesus tells a story, right? He he, he says, at the renewal of all things, you guys are going to be taken care of, but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. He says, you've got to undermine the way you think. You've got to stop thinking that way, and this is the way the kingdom works, that God is generous, and he loves people despite who they are and what they've done, not because. See, in the kingdom of God, we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be afraid we're going to lose. I love this verse. Do not be afraid, little flock, says Jesus. The Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So really quickly, I'm running over. How do we live the story today? How, do we, how does it play out? We, I'll give you one. The, the main statement I want you to hear is that kingdom thinking is very different. And that's why these parables need to sink into our mind. They, they need to challenge the way we think the world is. They need to deconstruct it and explode it and give us a new way of thinking jesus pushes us you know he says my kingdom is totally upside down to the way the world operates victory comes through surrender gain comes through loss peace comes through suffering and challenge next time you catch yourself saying it's just not fair just doesn't make sense i i I can't believe it's that way well okay maybe if you can't believe that's happening there's something wrong about the way you believe there's your fundamental story it needs to be changed so here's three questions, just to keep you thinking, and then we'll close. Do I understand my role in the vineyard? Who's the owner? Who makes the decisions? You, you'll never get anywhere in your life until you settle that issue, and it's one of those issues that you settle one day, and you settle the next day, and you settle the next day, and you settle the next day. Who, do I understand my role in the vineyard? Number two, do I trust God with the idea of fair? He says take your pay and go (laughs) don't i have the right to do what i want with my money can i trust that god will be fair that he will not let me lose out and finally and this is what we're really going to dig in on tomorrow do i value people or their performance do i love people because god loves people or because they do what I think they should do. You see, that, this is where I think the church needs to hear this story. We tend to evaluate people based on how well they conform to what we want them to do. And I say church is big I mean, there's lots of churches that that doesn't happen. But the way the culture sees the church is that we withhold the love of God until you do what, what we tell you to do. And, and I don't. this story says the people that just barely sneak in are deeply loved and receive just as much grace as the people that... Have been following Jesus their whole life. You know, that's that's why the Pharisees would get so mad. Jesus would hang out with the tax collectors and the sinners and the Pharisees were like, We're working so hard to make God happy, and He's hanging out with them. This rabbi thinks these people are okay. Just leave me alone for a minute. I'm almost done. I'll leave you with this because Carter's done. <laughs> in our world, there are people, the, there are the five o'clock hires. There are the people that we look down on for whatever reason. Uh, there, there are the, the tax collectors and the sinners, the people that we think are a, a drain on God's resources. And my question is, are we gonna trust that God will be fair in giving grace? Do we, can we realize that if he gives grace to people who don't deserve it, it's because He gave grace to us who did not deserve it. That what we receive from Him is what they receive from Him. And when we love people, all people, and this this has huge implications (laughs) into every relationship you have because you don't have to control it or fix it. You have to love the way God loves. Let's pray. God, we... The story, if we really let it sink in, I think explodes a lot of the way we just normally think. And we'd like to leave it as just a cute little story that Jesus told that upset the Pharisees. But I pray that you would let it undermine the false stories that we live by every day, that you'd let it challenge us and make us think about your grace and your love. And as we prepare for tomorrow where we're talking about why you love people, all people, help us to, to have open hearts to what you'll be teaching us tonight, today tomorrow morning, all throughout this weekend, and help us to take the truth of your story home and live it out in Jesus' name. Amen.